Are you passionate about making a difference through design? Join us at the Human Centered Design Network's Circle, a new private community for change makers just like you. Connect with like minded professionals, gain exclusive rights to monthly learning opportunities, and lead the change in human centered design. For more information, see thisishcd.com. Now, let's get back into that episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of This Is HCD. In this episode, we speak to the brilliant Megan Dell, a human-centred design leader based in Melbourne, Australia, and currently head of UX for 99designs. We get Megan's perspective on what makes a good and bad leader and drill deeper into the organisational and cultural considerations to let the human-centred design methodology bloom. Also on the podcast, we had the excellent Tara Vanna Amarongan, the group design director for Sydney and Canberra for Fjord, who joined the conversation along with myself and Mark Catanzariti. Before we jump in, however, as this podcast is recorded in the Sydney CBD, I would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation as the traditional custodians of the land where we meet today and pay respect to their elders, both past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening in today. So let's jump straight in. Hello and welcome to This is HCD podcast. Today we're going to be discussing what does effective human-centered design leadership look like? And I'd like to welcome Megan Dell to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. And we also have Tara V from Fjord. Good morning. I, I've hopped over Tara's last name because I'm struggling. How do you say your last name? Von Amarone. Okay, it's Dutch. I'm, I'm struggling with that, so I'm just going to call her Tara V for the podcast. <laughs> and we also have Mark here as well, who's the, the co-host of the, of the podcast. Hello, Mark. Hello. How's it going? And my name is Jerry Scullion, uh, as you may have already picked up from the podcast title. So, Megan, let's start off. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into design. So, I originally worked as an artist and needed to earn some money. So, I essentially got into this thing called design, which was uh, you know, applying my more creative practices into digital work. And I kind of fell into uh, user-centered design through um, working in a call center of all places and nice. kind of worked my way through on the working on the website for a big insurance company. Yeah. Cool. So these days I head up UX at 99designs and I've worked in leadership roles in a few of a few other big Australian companies. Okay. Well. Excellent. So thanks for being a delight to have you here. Tara, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself as well? Yeah, sure. So um, I don't come from a design background. I actually... I come from a very, very small town in rural Canada, and I went to business school to take over the family business. And I've been doing sort of consulting and and sort of digital strategy roles until about four years ago. I was flagged on an HR list for design training. And two days in, I was like, this is it. This is what I have to do. And it was just sort of the way forward to ethically do what users really want and spend money in corporates in in a more responsible way. So haven't looked back since. And today I run a team of 50 designers at Fjord running Sydney and Canberra. Right, excellent. Well, delighted to have you both here. It's it's a super interesting topic. The people on the Slack channel have been asking lots of questions and feeding into this topic. So let's kick it off. Let's talk a little bit about what does effective human-centered design leadership look like to you, Megan? I think it's a lot about enabling the team and mm-hmm. setting the vision and kind of helping them get, get on with their work, essentially. You're, you're championing design. Like throughout the company, you've got your eyes set on what the company goals are as well, and you're really helping empower the designers kind of get that done, as well as, I guess, drumming up a lot of interest and passion with it 
within the company as mm. well about human-centered design and kind of getting other people really involved in that practice as well, even if they're not traditionally a designer. Mm. Before we kicked off the podcast, we, we were chatting a little bit about like the behaviors that a good leader displays, but we also discussed a little bit about what non-design leaders look like. So rather than just thinking of human-centered design leadership, mm. just looking pure at what, what does a good leader look like? What do you want from a leader? So tell us about what, what your thoughts are on, on leadership. Uh, look, for me, I put such great emphasis on this, and this is for me personally something that I'm always reading more books about, listening to podcasts, watching videos, because I think that, that like I've still got a lot of room to grow in that area as well. But I think that you, you really need like the passion to improve as, as well mm. as constantly learn, which is kind of exactly mm. what I'm doing. But also like great empathy and getting to know your team as well. We were talking just before and Tara was kind of saying mm. how like each of the designers are, are very different people with different motivations and passions on the team. And I think it's kind of tapping into that, mm. knowing how to tailor your approach to the different team members as well mm. as kind of being able to work your way through the company as well and work with other kind of areas, be it engineering, product, sales, marketing, and being able to relate to those areas as well. Mm. Tara, do you want to add anything to that? Uh, like, What does a good leader look like as opposed to a design leader, a good leader? Yeah, I think it's really about finding out, you know, how do you give people runway? What do they need to grow? And how do you keep them in flow? And, and what do they need to, to flourish? I think that's super important. I always think of the best boss I ever had. She said to me, I was working in a bank at the time, and she said, Tara, if your life's goal is to be a hairdresser, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get you to be a hairdresser. I was like, what? What? You know, uh, we're working in a bank. That's not in my job description. That's not even mm. any, any role in this organization. But she said, uh, I want you to be doing what's best for you in the world, whatever that looks like. Mm. And I also fully believe somewhere else, there's somewhere where there's a hairdresser who really wants to be a banker. And they have a boss that's trying to help them make the transition. Mm. And that's always stuck with me throughout my career that I have people who want to be in design or want to come in design or actually want to transition out of it. Mm. So for me, it's finding pathways for those people, giving them what they need, giving them interesting work, opportunities, coaching, and then just getting out of the way. Mm. Okay. That's, that's interesting. So do you want to become a hairdresser? <laughs> no, no. I think my, my French stylist does a good job on her own. <laughs> no, very good. So let's think about uh, human-centered design. Like, you know, what, what can go wrong if you don't have a good human-centered design leader uh, in organizations? Well, what are your thoughts? Both, both of you, I'll open it up to you. Look, I think that because the design team within the wider organization is, as we're talking on Slack a little bit, it's like a, a kind of a glass house or garden that you really need to tend to and protect in a certain way mm. like if that starts to starts to die I mean it's who is really looking after the the end user of your product and who is kind mm. of bringing that through the organization like they're they're really the champions yeah. of that and you kind of need that to flourish to ensure that you're not just forgetting about okay who are we designing these things for um, so you're speaking about the culture there the, the culture of, of an organization is that what you're talking about, really? Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think so, yeah. So, because for, for me personally, and Tara, feel free to stop me here, yeah. but like culture is the biggest thing for uh, enabling any design methodology to succeed. But uh, well, I'm keen to understand your thoughts on who, who owns the, the drive for a cultural shift. Yeah, that's is a really it, ambiguous thing. Like you yeah. can't even say this is culture or you have mm. all these companies who are like, 
we have a culture plan. It's like, well, well that's sort of the result of many things happening. It's education mm. and, you know, understanding what design is. It's people flourishing in their work. And it's having mechanisms and, and ways for, for design to enter in the organization and for, you know, the more sort of linear analysis people to understand the creatives and mm. also the other way around. And culture is the mm. manifestation of all of those things going right. It's kind of the vibe. It's not tangible. You, you can't, you can feel it, but you can't say that's, that's mm. culture on a piece of paper. Yeah. To your question about like who owns the culture, who's responsible for it. I mean, it's everybody, right? And mm. you, you want to bring in more people that embody that culture and can help, you know, just keep it going and mm. improve on it as well. But, but is it a design function? Like to, because we're ultimately trying to get a human centric design and the word design is in there. Mm. It often falls back in my experience on the role of the designers to enable that culture to succeed. Yeah. And that's what I'm really interested in because if you bring it forward to the sea level, and you ask them to, to support you, they're going to want to know what the, the ROI is and why should we change the culture? What's it, what's in it for us? Now, that's been like a little bit kind of like black and white. Yeah. But, but what is in it for like, what are the benefits you can see out of a, out of a great design culture? I noticed, um, well, in order to get there, I noticed that with the design teams, I have to have to, often have to give them permission and empowerment. I think working in Australia, I found very much permission culture, like, can I do that? And they're waiting for someone to sort of, Mm. bless them to, to do something so sometimes we appoint people in the studio and say right you're a culture champion and they're like well, what does that mean i'm like whatever whatever you want to do that that is a, a cultural activity or a push for something or something a bit left of center that shows that mm. you know we're different or creative um, and you're using your creative juices to do something for the betterment of the team yeah. to really get people to think differently or gain a new skill or improve their craft or mm. or whatever it look you know that looks like which is really quite important but what it looks like for me is that people love coming to work. I have people come back on Friday, we have studio days. People come from, you know, say a big corporate and they're like, oh, it's so good to be in the studio. What does that feel like? You know, why is it there? They're like, I'm with my own people. We've got a great work environment. The tunes are pumping. There's food in the kitchen and the barista knows my order. Like mm. all of that feels good together. So what does that all look like? That's a combination of several different elements. Interesting work, great people. They feel mm. relaxed. And also there's just that acceptance of I'm with my crew, which is great. Mm, yeah. I think often I hear of startups and they get the ping pong table and they get the pool table and then they go, hey, we're really fun loving. And, you know, come join us. We've got ping pong championships on Wednesdays. What are your thoughts on uh, that kind of superficial startup culture that's tends to be quite generic and cliche. Yeah. You just talking through that reminded me of, uh, so we've just recently been hiring and I had to uh, like go in and adjust the information, like the about us with the company and take away some of that stuff about the ping pong because it just doesn't just, yeah, it feels really Hard. superficial and for, for mm. design and for like the HCD kind of centered company, like you really want it to be a lot more meaningful and to kind of tap mm. into, hey, these are some of the challenges that you're working on. Like here is what the culture is like and we really care about our customers or mm. um, the goals that we're setting out to achieve. I, I think that it's it's a lot more than that, like, hey, you'll get a shiny new MacBook and, you know, play ping pong <laughs> at lunchtime and have an awesome coffee. Like yeah. Yeah, people people want more than that and I think anyone can just, you know, buy a table tennis table and talk about it. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Like, I actually had, had a really interesting one of the most interesting coffees I had this year was with a lady called Aubrey Blanche from Atlassian, and she's the head of global diversity for the organization. And she was explaining about the the care and attention to detail they go to 
to get a representative community fit based on each of the offices globally. So I, I, I'm really interested to get your perspective on the importance of diversity into a culture um, and how that can actually enable and affect the human-centered design leadership. Yeah. Big question, I know. Yeah, but... <laughs> yeah it's, it's funny because it's been on my mind because uh, like with our design team at 99, mm. it, it was actually turning into there was going to be a lot of females in the team with this recent round of hiring and I had to kind of stop because everyone's saying like, hey, we meet, need more women in tech. And I kind of had to stop and think, well, hang on, like my team's going to be dominated by females. I don't think I want that either. I don't think that's a good cross range. Mm. I think it's really important though. I I would be looking for like older people to join the team, people with kids. If I've already got people with kids and I want some single people in the team, like mm. it, it's just more than male, female or the color of your skin as well. And I think that everyone will bring, you know, different life stories to the table and different ways to approach a design. I think like we've got a long way to go as well. I really like what you were saying about your contact and how they they would look at the kind of the area that they're hiring in and go, okay, we've got like 20% of people look like this or have Mm. this kind of lifestyle or whatever. Let's try and hire that into the team. I'd really love to do a bit more of them. So, So why is that important? If you just build a team where everybody is the same, you're going to be creating the same outcomes. You're not going to have fresh thinking or different ways to solve the problem. And there'll be things that you just never dream about that mm. somebody else who you know, may be really challenging for you in the team that they can bring to the table. Tara, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's also really boring. I mean, if I worked with just yeah. myself, <laughs> someone who looked and spoke and, and thought like me, that would be really boring. Oh, I think it would be great. <laughs> 20 towers in a room. <laughs> Oh, that's a nightmare. Yeah, it's people challenging thoughts, but I think uh, the conversation on, on diversity, I think there's, you know, a lot more depth that can be added. And mm. obviously all the specs of a person, you know, are sort of the leading indicator that someone thinks differently and approaches things differently. And it's really important to have just different experiences. And, and what I love is our leadership team is very, very diverse, also from different countries. Mm. We've got academics, we've got ex-consultants, we've got, you know, career mm. art directors, everyone there. And what I love is... There's no competition that we're, you know, all leaders and, and we all are competitive with each other and we have the same skill sets. There's this really inherent acceptance and recognition that you have your thing and you're the person to go to on X mm. and you're really good at it. This person's a really good ideas person. This person's really about getting stuff off the line. Mm. That person, they smash every client interaction and mm. that's what they use. So everyone gets each other's strengths and I can go to work and still learn. And even if you might say, oh, you're sort of at the top of the pyramid of the business. I'm always feeling like I'm the dumbest person in the room and mm. learning and challenged every day. And as a leader, I still want that. I'm, I'm terrified of being the one who knows everything mm. because then my journey has stopped. So when you're saying there like about being able to go to the right people, is that a non-documented thing or is that just uh, something that people are aware about? Yeah, I think it's what you know, sort of want to be known for and famous for. I mean, uh, within the business. Yeah, I think it's funny. Consulting is always a bit about profiling yourself and results, and that's sort mm. of you know one thing that I learned in my early career that this is what you want to be known for and what you want to be interested in and what you talk about and where your mm. energy goes. And then there's also the work that's assigned to you. Yeah. And so you know, on paper, a lot of our leadership team are assigned the same things, but we're mm. known for different things and we have different strengths, and that's really okay. So. Is that something that's discussed at the leadership level? Like, like Tara, you're known for being bubbly and approachable, or like, is it a, a categorization chat. of it's people? It's always in the side chat, right? And the yeah, and the the jokes in between. But we also will say, oh, we need someone to go present at you at Australia. 
Hmm. Or, you know, there we have this really tough, tough client. Who can we send in that will just turn the situation around? Hmm. And in those discussions, you think, you know, who's the best person for the job or who will flourish hmm. in that environment? I have some designers, you know, leaders that will get squashed in a certain environment. Others will just kick ass and take names. Yeah. All right. So if you imagine we've got a hypothetical business, we're all in business together and we're looking for the head of design. What are the, the behavioral stuff that we're going to look for? on that resume and also when we meet them to make sure that they can do the job. And if say the organization is like, it's a, it's a startup, it's in the startup space. It's not like an organization culture that's been going for 20 years or 30 years. It's a relatively new culture. So we're designing a new culture. Well, what is it we're looking for in that person when they present themselves? Because you said that it's a bit more of a startup culture as well. Mm. I, I assume then you need someone who's able to do a mix of like, getting in amongst it and on the tools as well as mm. like working their way through that and being able to see kind of above the weeds as well and look at the strategy and the vision and kind of talk to all of the different levels of that practice as well. I don't mm. mean levels hierarchically. I just mean levels as in I'm sitting down today and I'm, I've got to pair with an engineer on this particular problem and interaction as well as I'm going to go and present to the CEO and the rest of the C-level about like where we're heading in the future as well. So I think that you need someone who can kind of cross the chasm in that, mm. in that respect, as well as being able to relate to everybody on like throughout that journey as well mm. and to talk about design and kind of get them really engaged and passionate about what they're trying to achieve as well. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, just to add to that, I think someone needs to, you know, or, articulate the value of design if you think about all our business metrics today it's on financials and it doesn't mm. have any space for customer satisfaction or their voice or being different or unique or fun or delightful all the things people actually care about and why they go back to brands mm. again and again so if you can't articulate what that means and and really understand you know drive that business value conversation that's that relatable part to mm. not only you internally but also to external investors and, and clients and partners mm. yeah yeah question for you megan more on um I guess, coming from a design background, you personally, and then I guess growing into that leadership role, like what were some of the challenges, I guess, that being able to straddle both kind of components, like how did you, I guess, grow into that? Look, it's really tough making the transition from being someone who is the individual contributor to like stepping back and giving the team that runway and trusting them to Mm. do the job as well, as well as I think, yeah, in in that adjustment of being the person that, is always just on the tools and kind of you've got your manager there to to yeah like they're having to learn all of the management style of things Mm. approach things with even more emphasis on the leadership angle as well it was really challenging and I would also say like almost caused a bit of this like who I who am I as a person and like am I am I using people? Like I'm going out for all of these coffees. Am I actually doing work? I'm, I'm always talking about work when mm. I do this, but just like a lot of very kind of conflicting feelings like throughout that period as well. Like I'm, I'm mm. comfortable with it now, but um, yeah, it was like a really tough transition I would say. And I, and I still find it hard at times at 99designs, like I do have to jump on the tools and do that stuff. And I find it hard to not get too sucked into that particular project I'm working at Mm. working on and um, being able to step back and then look at the overall program of work and remember hang on I've got to have one-on-ones with my team members and they really need me and they need me to like help clear the way for them on some of their stuff so yeah yeah okay cool Tara do you want anything to add to that piece yeah I think uh, I probably I've in the last but six weeks I've stepped into more of a leadership role and again you know the operations and 
not glazing over when I see a spreadsheet is, is always a different uh, twist. I think I've kind of mourned some of the things about being on the tools that I really loved. I think a favorite part of my job was telling a user story and surprising an expert. And I've got my my quotation <laughs> bunny bunny hands up. Um, yeah. You can't see on the podca- podcast, but you, you'd had this executive who'd say, I'm an expert in this and I know everything. When I could surprise them or give them that ha- aha moment or make their jaw drop, mm. I was like, yes, I've done my job. And now that realization of I'm never going to be in another user interview. I'm never going to be able to tell that story anymore. You know, that's old, mm. old Terra and new Terra is realizing that other people need to be able to, to do that job. So that's sort of been, a, you know, a bit of a difficult transition, but also some really great stuff in the transition of seeing people grow and giving them that that mm. and that opportunity. And, you know, now just meeting new clients at sort of a different level and getting them mm. on board and on the journey to pave the way for my team to, to do that yeah. work. So I think the other thing is prioritization. You get at a certain point where you could do 20 things and now you can only actually do two. Yeah. So what are the two that actually matter? And that choice is so <laughs> crucial. And I think that's where it's either going to fall apart or, you know, it's it's going to go really well as deciding what are the two things that matter. Mm. At the end of the day, it's always people. It's always, you know, making sure that someone is okay, that they've got help, mm. um, that we've won, you know, someone over, you know, that sort of thing, reducing tension, putting out fires, mm. but also looking out for new opportunities. It's mm. it's always the people stuff that I find that's top of the list. Yeah, has to be. Yeah. So, like, look, look, we're discussing culture here quite a bit, and to me, culture is the first and foremost most important thing. But how do you define the effectiveness of your culture? Like, it's it's a big question. I get asked all the time when I go and I speak to people and they're like, they hear me speak about culture and then they go, well, how do we know if our culture is good or our culture is bad at the moment? Uh, do we have any thoughts on that? I know it's a big question. Um, well, I also think that it's almost subjective as well. Like, if it's good or bad mm-hmm. culture, right? Because everybody's <laughs> different. I don't know exactly how to tell if it's good or bad. One of the things that we've done like recently Mm. uh, is an employee engagement survey as like Mm. a way to kind of get some kind of metric to just see how do we compare now to the previous 12 months. Mm. And while we don't have like an individual metric for that, we've at least listened to the entire team across the world and we've got different areas where we know that we can improve or where we're really succeeding within Mm. that culture. But I would say as a team member, I think that, if I'm really enjoying coming into work and I feel like really energized by by my work environment, the the mission that we're on, the people mm. around me and you know things are kind of clicking, mm. then for me personally like I feel like we're on the right track with the culture. Yeah. So it's interesting because you, you're more of like the you've come from a startup background in 99 designs and now yep. I wouldn't exactly call it a startup. You're well over 100 and something people. Yep. Um but in Tara's world, Tara's from Fjord design, it's a little bit more difficult and Tell me if I'm wrong here, because like the consultants go out and they they work within more difficult and sometimes non-design organizations. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about about that experience. Yeah, it's an interesting one because you know the first question was about you know what does good culture look like? Mm. For me personally, it's when on Sunday night I'm excited to go to work on Monday. Massive nerd, but. I'm sort of one of them, thank God it's Monday. Your school bag packed. I really, yeah. <laughs> I really like my job and I like our people and it feels like a family in a, in a community. And on Monday I look around at stand up and see, you know, are people jazzed up to be here? So for me, that's a bit of a, a symbol if people are, are going well. Yeah. But we always talk about the design rule of three, which is design thinking, design doing, and design culture. Mm. And quite often clients bring you in because you've got that secret sauce that that's a tangible thing they can't put their finger on and anyone can make a journey map and anyone can call themselves a designer 
But as you bring in a pod of team members and they just sort of feed off of that culture. And we had a, a client in Melbourne where this random guy just sort of after the design sprint sat with us. We're like, hey, don't you need to be at your, you know, your desk? He's like, no, I'm just going to hang with you guys. And in the end, he just sort of joined the team and became part of us. And He joined yours. No, he, well, <laughs> he joined the project team, um, but he, he didn't want to go back to his day job. And that was this really good sign of we've done our mm. job of creating this, this sort of aura around the team. And it was all to do with the space, the cadence, the way we work, you know, what we're producing. He found that we were doing things that really mattered. He was learning new skills, mm. really great vibe in the team. So we bring that into clients. What that means is two things. Clients are like, this is great. I'm learning from you. But what it can also mean is that designers feel drained in the sense mm. that they bring in this culture and people are just feeding off of them mm. and then it gets slowed down or, you know, they're, they're sort of getting leached off from the culture aspect mm. and they feel like I'm just giving and giving and giving and not always uh, getting back. So that's why it's really important for us to say, all right, when do we come back home? You know, Fridays, how do we bring more clients and residents? Mm. And now it's actually something I, I use almost as a, a sales pitch with clients we're going to select you to be a client in residence to come work in our space, to feel that, to see that, to work in that environment, mm. to have the barista to know your name, to have a space environment and tools that work for you, and mm. to be part of that team environment, working very, very differently mm. away from the corporate flex desk, thousand yeah. email per day culture. But it's a double-edged sword. The designers mm. feel that they give a lot and the clients are like, this is great. Yeah. So how do you find the middle ground? Yeah, it's kind of tough because when I hear like of all the, the great things like the Bristol knowing your order, is a, it's a simple one, but it's a really effective one. I love it when it happens. But if every organization in the world just buys that blueprint and reproduces it, what's, what's it going to look like? But they won't because they think that's a cost and we see it as culture. And that's a very different lens. Yes, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's interesting. I was playing devil's advocate there. I'm just, just going to put it out there, but it's just really interesting because it goes back to the ping pong table thing of where people start up a startup and they're like, got to get the neon light on the wall, got to get the ping pong table going, <laughs> got to get the tournament set up on Wednesday. So it's, it's just really interesting. So look, we're coming towards the end of, of the topic that, that we're, we've been discussing here. So Megan, I'm going to start off and ask you three key questions that are going to be used on all the podcasts from moving forward. Okay. So you personally, like, what is the one professional skill that you wish you were better at? I think it's managing all of the things that I've got going at any given time. So I kind of visualize it as a circus performer with many, many spinning plates <laughs> and just trying to ensure things that don't drop. And I think, as Tara was saying earlier, it's knowing what the, like, the two things are that you kind of, you know, have to prioritize as well. So it's kind of that constant juggle mm. yeah. um, of all the things. Okay. Yeah. Tara? I think for me, it's uh, patience, mm. not only patience with others and how quickly things move, but also patience with myself. You know, every now and again, my, my partner will put his hand on my shoulder and go, you know, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. And so I think as well, making sure that I'm sustainable with my energy. So in the last mm. 48 hours, you know, two client workshops and a podcast and teaching at uni. You know, making sure that I've got enough energy left for the for the right things. Mm. Um, and part of that's having, you know, a medical history where I'm faced with my mortality at the age of 30 and going, mm. I've got so much to do in this life. But mm. also just being able to say, you know what, you don't have to do everything and just have patience, do the mm. right things and prioritize and have a bit of downtime. Yeah, that, that's the mindset. Uh, a lot of mindset. Second big question here. I feel like we need a drum roll. What is the one? Don't do the drum roll. <laughs> Our editor will go nuts. So what is the one thing in the industry that you wish you'd be able to banish? 
Banish is such a strong word. So intentional choice of words. Yeah, though. yeah. <laughs> I didn't want it to be like you know grey. I wanted it to be quite black and white. Yeah. And then you want to be able to banish from the industry. I think egos and the the fear of people not knowing the answer to a question as well. So mm. and, and trying to protect their pride, right? Because I think it's okay to not know everything, and you don't need to have a big ego. And in fact, it's better to just be down to earth. And work with other people. Yeah, that's lovely. So, yeah, yeah. Tara, I'm going to flip around and say what what I wish there was more of in the industry mm. is that people were more curious. I think there's this fear of you know you work differently and you, you might mm. be hypothesis driven and I come at it from a different perspective, and it's quite interesting that that's met often with uh, aggression or this judgment that it's bad. And I wish more people would just be more open to go. Well, why do you think that? And just asking that simple question because. I put my heart on my sleeve, you know, design is an extension of me. And, mm. you know, there's that element of sort of rejection or judgment or, you know, it's not credible uh, often from, from people in mm. in corporate land, which is unfortunate. Yeah, that's true. So one last question before we, before we wrap this up. So what is the message you'd give to emerging human-centered design talent for the future? So there's a lot of people, you know, doing the courses that are coming out and they're trying to get into the industry. What message can you give them? the future i think that would be get stuck in don't feel like you need to spend ten thousand dollars and quit your day job and go and do a an Mm. individual course you would you're likely to find that there are things that you can do within your current day job Mm. or the life situation that you're in where you can bring in more human-centered design thinking Mm. as well so so i would say don't feel like you need to kind of do that like really official formal learning to actually start to make a difference Mm. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a craft and the more doing, the better you get. I think for me, it would be don't listen to the naysayers. You know, when I first learned design, my boss said, you know, Terry, you can't just do design. You're going to have to do user testing and client tours and all this other random stuff. The best thing I ever did was not listen and just do what I really felt passionate about. Mm. And and now I'm on a team of amazing designers and I am so Mm. honored and lucky and can't believe that, that that's what I do because I was just like, no laser focus you know don't don't listen to all the people who are like but you have to do this and that and you don't have yeah. your cv and i said well cool i know that my cv won't get me the job i just need to talk to someone and show how excited i am yeah, yeah. passion goes a long way yeah all right look a very big thank you to to megan dell uh, for being on the podcast and also tara thank you so much for being here really appreciate your time we'd love to have you back some point uh, in the future thank you So there you have it. I hope you found that conversation helpful. We'd love to get your feedback or thoughts on this topic. And to join in the conversation, go to thisishcd.com and register to join the Slack channel, where you can get in touch with me and Megan and Tara as well. We use the Slack channel to help shape future episodes of the podcast, as well as share interesting design-related content every single day. We've also started a book review section and are actively looking for people to review design books. So if you've read a design book recently, join up and tell us all about it. We'd love to potentially include your review in future podcasts. Also, we are actively looking for sponsorship for the podcast, with 100% of the sponsorship money going directly to Cara Care, an incredible NGO who helps support children who have suffered abuse. You can also donate directly to Cara Care by clicking on the dollar sign inside the media player on the thisishcd.com website. So if you've got any questions about sponsorship, please get in touch with me at jerry, G-E-R-R-Y, at humana, H-U-M-A-N-A, dot design. That's jerry, G-E-R-R-Y, at humana, dot design. Thanks so much. See you again soon.